You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. There, I want to invite you back towards the seat. We're going to be continuing in our series going through First and Second Peter. This is called Stir It Up. And today we will be in First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. A little sum up of where we were last week to kind of ramp you up into this morning. Uh, we were in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 4, 6. And the main assumption is that because we are in Christ, that is what all the instruction we're getting from Peter. He's saying, here's what I've got for you. Here's the direction I want you to go. And the reason is because you are in Christ. And we spent some time talking about to what or to who are we oriented um, and to, to orient oneself is to locate yourself and your environment with a specific reference point. So like among people who are uh, back in the olden days when they navigated on the sea, sailors would often navigate using the North Star as their point of orientation, something that they could look at and that they could then calculate kind of how they, would, how they were traveling. For us, it's important to acknowledge that we are oriented to and in Christ. And there's a lot of things we can orient ourselves towards. We can, around our job, around politics, around sexuality, around sports, around trying to be a good person. But really, none of the Peter's instructions work apart from recognizing we are oriented to and in Christ. Uh, we also talked about the wisdom books of the Bible, where we've got uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. These are the books from which we can gather wisdom. And, and Peter quotes from one of the Psalms uh, talking about what happens in general when we walk in God's ways. When we walk in his ways, we can experience blessing, not because God's trying to reward us for doing what he said, but because as we do what he said, we receive rewards. Does that make sense? So he says this is the way because if you walk this way, you're going to be blessed. And he, he will identify areas that are wrong or sin, and it's not because he's attempting to cause problems for us. He's saying if you walk this way, you will experience loss. You will experience areas of death, okay? And then we get to the spot of where he says always be prepared to give an answer when somebody asks you why you follow after Christ. And we spend a little bit of time, you know, kicking around. What, what would our answer be? What would you say if someone said to you, why do you follow Jesus? And I don't believe you have to have 25 canned answers, but there is something that, to be said about preparing yourself. You may be a person who really likes to fly in spontaneity. Uh, I myself like to consider because I want to have a few different ones because it depends on the individual who's asking me. If it's a person who I'm very close to, it may be very easy to go into intimate conversation regarding, you know, here's why I follow Jesus. For a person who's kind of combative, it may be that I will offer up a couple things, but I'm also recognizing if a person's very combative and they want to debate, I'm, I usually will not enter a debate, not because I don't know whether I can win <laughs> or lose. In debates like that, there is no winner. You can out-shout or out-convince someone. It's like, I really showed them. I blasted them. I showed them who was the person who knew Jesus' love was for. It's like, many times, like following Jesus' example, there were times he was questioned and he said nothing. And he was provoked and he did nothing. And there are times for us to be quiet. There's also times where we don't know what to say. In those times, limit your words. Don't feel like you have to say something and don't let someone goad you into just, brr, okay? 
Then there we wrapped up with, when you suffer, not if you do, but when you suffer, when people speak negatively about you, let it be because you're doing good, let it be because you're reflecting Christ, not because you've done something dumb, okay? There is no glory in our relationship with God if we're getting, if we're experiencing suffering because we did something dumb, all right? Today, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to take this in a couple of different sections, I'm going to start with 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are living in the last days. Joel the prophet prophesied in the last days God said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Peter in Acts chapter 2 says Joel's prophecy is fulfilled. Once the Holy Spirit was poured out, we are now officially in the last days. And we can look at it and say, how long are the last days? It's been like 2,000 plus years since that took place. We also find in other places in Scripture, it says a 1,000 years with God is like a day. Okay? So we are in the last part of it. Uh, when my son Joey played football as in uh, peewee football, his coach thought they were like borderline professional. And so they were very intense. And it wasn't that he, he screamed and yelled at people, but he attempted to instill a professionalism. And there's something about, if you can get nine-year-olds to want to, by the time you get to the fourth quarter, you're winning. You may not have the best team, you may not have the most talent, but if they still want to, after playing three 10-minute quarters and they're going into the fourth, they most likely will have an edge on the other team because I don't care who you are, when you're nine, you just kind of run out of gas. But the thing that his team would do, the, the third quarter would end, and all of a sudden his coach would like, his coach was um, loud, okay? His coach was loud, and he'd, he'd kind of start spinning around, and he'd put his hand up in the air, and he'd go, fourth quarter! And all these little miniature gladiators wearing their way too large helmets and shoulder pads got their hands in the air. Fourth quarter, this is our time. And the other team's going, what's happening here? I just want the oranges again. You know, when do we get our snacks? It's like fourth quarter. And inevitably, the fourth quarter belonged to them. And the other team would just... They were tired, they were, but the fourth quarter belongs to us. And I can't help but think about when we see these are the last days. I want to stick my hand up in the air and in the words of Coach Derek, yell, fourth quarter. Because the days we are in are important. About two weeks ago, I was 30. (laughs) And we laugh, but it kind of feels that way. And days can be long, but years are short. January, Joni and I will have been here 23 years. That's something that we celebrate. We now have grandkids of people who were in the church 23 years ago who are now a part of our church. 
That, to me, is one of the best reasons to stay in a location, to get to see life and family and the joys and the sorrows. I look and I see my kids who are the same ages as Joni and I were when we first came. And I think, where did the time go? And there are many times that I, I wish I could turn back the clock. And it's not like a, if I could turn back time. I don't know. Sorry, that's a share reference. Who thought you'd get a share reference on a Sunday morning? Not this guy. I don't want to live in the past, but there are times where it's like, man, I wish I hadn't wasted certain times. And other times where it's like, Lord, thank you for giving me what's in front of me. Because we could focus so much on what... The, the things that are behind us. And sometimes the things that are behind us are the, the areas that, man, those were such good days. And they were. But there's a passage in Philippians that says, forgetting what lies behind. And what Paul's talking about is all the good stuff that's happened up until this point, the first three quarters, let's forget that. That doesn't mean we disregard it as though it didn't happen, but let's not keep looking back. Hey, remember the first quarter when that happened? Remember when I was 31 that one time and I finally got my anger under control? And I stopped screaming all the time. It's just most of the time. I wasn't doing that anymore. That was cool. That's great. But God says we are in the last days. In Ephesians, he says, be careful because the days we're walking in are evil. So be careful to redeem the time that you have. Be careful how you walk. And being careful does not mean be fearful. It just means you're walking through the kid's playroom in the dark and you know there's Legos on the floor. Okay? That's walking carefully. It's walking like I know there's stuff. It's walking through a backyard where there's three Doberman Pinschers and a Mastiff and you can't really see the grass. Okay? And you're just wanting to get through without stepping on any proverbial landmines. That's walking carefully. It's not walking fearfully, it's walking on purpose. Redeem the time that we have. One of the instructions that we have here is don't numb out. Don't give yourself over to just kind of flush your life. Whether it be substances, whether it be, you know, one of the things that our area can lend itself towards, we have a ton of outside sports, both in the winter Summer, spring, fall, we've got more golf courses than you know what to do with. We've got hills this way. We've got four-wheeling country that way. We've got all sorts of hiking and stuff. It's possible for people to entertain themselves into irrelevance and to recreate into irrelevance. We learn and we try to live a life where we are balanced, where we work we devote ourselves to follow Christ, we play, and in all things, we bring glory to God. And all that Peter's saying is be intentional about this time because we are in the fourth quarter. We're in the significant time. First John refers to it as you want to watch out for these three common areas of temptation, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the things that we can own, the things that we can indulge yourself in, and look at what I've done. Those are three common temptations that want to consume us and make us look at this so that we are looking solely at what's happening with me. God invites us, fourth quarter. We're living in the last days. Above all, he says, 
Keep loving each other. I did share, so let's do some Mario Speedwagon. I'm going to keep on loving you. Okay. Because it's the only thing I want to do. I don't want to. I don't want to speak. I just want to keep on loving you. Okay. Right, whatever. Right, anyway, keep on. Lo- You're not going to forget I did that. And it's a reminder. Keep loving each other. Continue to come down to the main things. Love God and love each other. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for they. I pray that they, anybody who believes in me in the future, Jesus prayed for you. One of the things he prayed is that they would be unified together and that they would love one another. To be unified does not mean to become just everybody's the same. To be unified means we're willing to walk together even though we're very different creatures. A few weeks ago, I used the imagery of the fellowship of the ring with you've got your elves and you've got your men and you've got your hobbits and you've got your dwarves and then you've got your Ishtari known as Gandalf who also is known as the wizard. Okay, these nine people agreeing to walk together for a specific purpose. When we're walking together united, we will have Jesus in common and that's about it. Our, when I was in high school back in the olden days, Back when my dad would drop me off at school in his covered wagon and I'd, you know, hitch up the horses and, you know, make sure that everything was okay and he'd kick me out of the, out of the, the buckboard and I'd get out there and, you know, dust my chaps off and go into school. Um, back in the day, there were n- our schools were not very fragmented as far as a bunch of different groups. There were, I could count the number of groups on about five hands, and people kind of gravitated. And even if you didn't fit into one of the five groups, you got shoehorned in. Because I don't know if it was our society, I know it was uh, specifically very different, but it was also, there was a lot more common ground uh, possible. And I think it's because there's a lot more uh, push towards conforming. And over the last 35 years since I left school and technology advanced and the interwebs were invented and all that, one of the things that we've seen is the push towards individuality. And everybody wants to be, you know, you're unique and you're special just like everybody else. (laughs) And you can be anything you want to do what you want to do and define your own reality. And it's almost like if you were to take those five or so, and I'm speaking very generically and stereotypically, those five or so groups, if we're just for, as an idea, think about the movie The Breakfast Club. If you haven't seen it, you don't have to. But they, they have their five groups of people. Like, this is what they are. Today, if you were to take that and, and drop it and shatter it, we've got thousands and thousands and thousands, and everybody's looking for their niche where they can be unique and be them and be themselves. There is a great, great need, wherever you happen to be, to extend the acceptance, and I, I mentioned acceptance is not equal agreement. Acceptance means you will be received with the love of God to anyone who decides they want to pursue Jesus. May the kindness or love and action of God be one of the characteristics that fills and surrounds our lives. John, the beloved disciple, repeatedly in the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John says, you've got to love one another. There's a story about him being near the end of, his, end of his life. He's the only disciple that they believe was not martyred, wasn't killed for his faith. Not for lack of trying. You know, John was thrown out of a window. They tried to kill him that way. Uh, according to some stories, he was also boiled in oil and then rescued. And so he was, he was messed up. He was 
in really bad shape. And the church at Ephesus, after he was released from the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation based on a series of visions he got from God, he's brought to speak to the church at Ephesus and they're all gathered. He's one of the last people alive who's walked with Jesus and now here he is and what does he have to say? And he just kind of says, love one another. Love one another. And that's it. And the people of the church said, well, can you elaborate? And he says, if you do this, this is enough. And it's not trying to be cute or funny, but it says here that this kind of love, agape love, is the kind of love that can cover over a multitude of sins. And it doesn't mean it's, it's one of those, that's okay. It's the kind of love that continues to love in the face of who knows all hell breaking loose. It's the kind of love that is willing to be wronged for the sake of extending Christ to people. It's the kind of love you see when a mom or a dad loves their child in the middle of their worst parts of life. I don't know how many of you will admit this, but sometimes when you're raising children, they're jerks. Okay? They're the worst roommates on the planet. They're selfish. They're inconvenient. We didn't go out to, to, to eat food in, in public for two years, and it was because I couldn't bring myself to take them outside the house. Because at least in the house, you can con contain them. I'm not talking control, contain. But at the same time, to be so frustrated, and at, and at times it's like, there, I mean, after having three kids in about five years, you know what I wanted? I wanted time with my wife. I wanted uninterrupted time with my wife. And I could do everything I wanted. I'm not just talking about sexy time. I'm talking about I want to have a conversation, like, without anybody. Mama! I don't want that. It's like we're talking. It's like I know you can hear me talking, but you're going to come in at, you know, 100 million decibels higher than I am with a voice that pierces the soul and say, I want this, I want this. It's like I just got you. You got me chocolate milk. I want hot chocolate. It's like, ugh. Oh. I don't want waffles. I want pancakes with patterns on them. It's like, what does that mean? I just want a conversation. And all the kids get put in bed, and you finally get this, and you're sitting on the couch. You got your arm around your wife, and lean over, and then their head pops up and says, I'm hungry. <laughs> My kids knew when they saw this. It's like... Dad's going to sin. <laughs> Dad's going to sin. And they just, boom. I just want you to, but I love mom. It's like, I know you love mom. It's like, I want my mommy. It's like, I want your mommy too. I mean, come on. But then to see where, to overlook, and not to say that's okay, because we're also training up a child in the way that they should go, hallelujah. And it gives me joy because my kids have kids now. And I get to say, what you have sowed, so also shall you reap. <laughs> Do not be deceived, the Lord is not mocked. I kid, but there's a love that overlooks being wronged. And there is a, a spiritual response in our world that looks for, for areas of being wronged and looks for areas of separation and looks for areas of offense and looks for opportunity to separate and to reject. And God says, I want you to love each other deeply and love in such a way that it even overcomes the areas of wrong. 
If you attend this church, you will be wronged. Hopefully it's unintentionally. You will be wronged. Someone will say something. Someone will do something. You will be left out accidentally. You may have a point of conflict. I hear stories at times when people start talking. And as I hear people talking, I think, I hope they never have a conversation together. Because it could be bloody. I look back to one of the, you know, being here 23 years, like the election uh, would have been, I believe, 2000, 2004, and two guys on the worship team who loved each other, just were closest brothers, uh, showed up to worship, and one had one party's candidate on their bumper sticker, and the other had the other, and they're screaming at each other in the parking lot because, I thought you were normal and my friend, and now you're one of them. It's like, you're just one of those fundamentalist wackos. And it was like, they're going off on each other. You will have political differences. You will have ideological differences. You will root for the wrong sports team. You will like a color other than black. You will have conflicts and people will hurt you. Hopefully, we are not intending to cause harm. My hope is that we will have a love that will go beyond that and a willingness to pursue relationship and to make it right. Because when you work through something challenging with another person, your relationship gets stronger. And we have to model reconciliation in the context of the church. And one of the worst testimonies we have as the capital C church is a disunified church that is at odds with each other constantly. And we can shake our heads about it. And at the same time, that is our family. We can't control everything that happens out there. We can control what happens with this man and with that woman and with that man. Okay. Show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, It's interesting here. The word hospitality, the word is philoxenia in Greek. The love of strangers or foreigners. Think about that. Anybody ever heard the word xenophobic? Yes, it's a uh, a being afraid or disliking people who are from a different place. Peter's instruction to people who are believers is show hospitality. Extend yourself to people, even to people who are strangers or people who are from out there. When I was learning German, one of the things that came up was this, there was huge influxes of immigrants, and it's happened throughout the years. In the 50s, it was the Italians. In the 60s, it was the Poles. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was the Turks. And we get to see just thousands and thousands and even millions of people now moving into Germany, and they were called the Auslanders, the outsiders. And they would have entire schools that were dedicated only to the Auslanders, and no one wanted to teach there. We only want to teach with the Germans. We could blame all of you know, those Germans. I can tell you how many times our kids are going to school here in the United States. And from going to the school in our neighborhood, we've always gone to the school in our neighborhood. Hearing, well, you know, that school, it's a little dicey. Oh, really? Why is it dicey? The school, the teachers are great. Parents are great. Well, you just know it's a little more uh, ethnic. Oh, Hispanic people, yeah, they're everywhere, huh? Yeah, within, and they, yeah, they live in our neighborhood, they go to, imagine that, they go to school here. Well, yeah, we like to go, you know, take to this school over here. 
I can remember when, the first time when Elise graduated to go to a different school was, that was kind of near our neighborhood, but not directly in it. She said, my school's all white. You know, what happened to all my, you know, the people I went to school, my friends? And in some ways, we can be so self-focused, we miss the alienation of people who are different than us. I'm not talking Dodger fans. I'm talking about people different than us. Carmel's going to come up here in just a second. Now, as Christians, we are called to show hospitality without complaining, to offer acceptance, to offer standing, to offer regard to people without either standing or regard. This is a hallmark of the Jewish faith, and it's even more a hallmark of the Christian faith. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says, by the way, y'all better not neglect being hospitable because occasionally God sends angels to see how you're going to do. Well, send me an angel then. Pet shop boys. Uh. Now, it's like you don't know if it's an angel because they don't show up and it's like, he looks like a six-foot, ten-inch Norlander. And uh, it's like, no, most of the time, the person who's an angel is not going to look like an angel. But he says, be careful. Be encouraging. Be hospitable. Be open because you will entertain angels without even knowing it. When it comes to our life groups, when it comes to our, our church community, we always want to be looking to involve and include. This is especially true if you have a life group that's been going for a specific period of time and the people have been coming for a while. You can run the risk to think that this is who we are and this is what we do. The group of people referred to as Nerd Church that Joni talked about uh, are, had originally, the original group had come out of one specific church in a suburb of Glendale called Sunland. And as they came out of that, it was right, they were just getting started right in the pandemic. And it's one thing to gather in the context of a church where you have room to spread, hopefully not spread diseases, but to spread. But within the context of their home, they did not have people attending who were not originally, they knew the people who were there. One of the key things that has happened post-pandemic for them, and again, in Los Angeles, it's much closer to the vest than it is here because people are just piled on top of each other. They have begun to see people who were not a part of that original group be added to the group. And if you were to show up and to look around, you would not be able to tell who was who. Who are the people who have been here for four years? Who are the people who have been here for four months? We would not have known. That, to me, is what we as the church are called to be and to do. When we're receiving communion together, there's often an instruction given, don't take it by yourself. And you may think, well, if anybody's here by themselves and they want to take it, they can come up and ask. That's not how it works. We, if this is our church, have the opportunity to have our head on a swivel and be looking for people. And there's two, two kinds of people taking it solo. The people who do not want to come into the group. And there's space for you. Okay. But I'm going to tell you it might be uncomfortable because people, I hope that they're going to at least ask you, would you like to receive communion with us? And the other person who may be outside, they don't know what to do. And if it's me, I'm torn because I'm a rule follower. And somebody says, I want you not to take this by yourself. And number two, I'm an introvert of introverts. And I think, I'm supposed to go up to people I've never met before and engage? Mm. I'm going to take a hard pass on that. 
I'm, I'm, Lord, it's like who's going to interrupt a prayer? No one. <laughs> it's incumbent upon us who call this their home to extend ourselves. Hey, Bean, will you stand up for a second? And Tiff, will you stand up too? So, Joanne, will you stand up, please? Okay. Um, when we were flying into Burbank on Thursday, uh, there was like a rapid descent, and we both had pain in our ear, but only one of us had a burst eardrum, and that was her. So all Joni can hear right now is... So, but, yeah. so you guys turn to face each other, okay? So they're talking to each other. It's like, how am I going to come up and have a conversation with them if I'm Louis the introvert, okay? Extrovert has no problem. For example, if you ever see Aaron's wife, Katie May, come up, she's just like, hey, what's going on? She's like right in the middle, okay? But for a person like me, the only way I enter into this is if there is an, turn towards me, please, thank you, and you were to invite. What? How'd you know my name? (laughs) Okay, right, okay, thank you. But there is an openness and a looking for people to involve them at their own speed. And by the way, introverts don't need, aren't, aren't extroverts that are broken. They're just people that are wired different. And to give people space, if they say, I'm good, don't insist. Don't say, let me help you and grab them and pull them in. Look what I found. It's a broken extrovert. Let's fix it. Okay? What are we going to do? Let's put it in the middle. Not let it out. Let's lay hands and pray. Who wants to go first? I'll wrap up at the end. You know, for me during greeting time, it's every, you know, go in and get your coffee and greet. I get to watch the people who are like me kind of step back and watch the scrum happen. And then... The rest of us kind of navigate, go get it. It's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Just, it's a different speed to engage, and there's room for both. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, my hope is that you get included. And that happens when people, if you call this your church, if you see somebody by themselves, please extend yourself. It's one of the reasons I encourage people, sit in a spot where you can sit by other people. You're much more likely to have a significant interaction with somebody if you're sitting by them. Now, when the kids leave and we're, we have this space open, it's okay to move if you want to. to and church is a lot more fun because sometimes if I'm boring, you can talk to each other. <laughs> I won't be... <laughs> you think I'm kidding. You can pass notes. Um, I think one of the things that gets in the way of being hospitable, especially if it's inviting people to where we live, is inadequacy. If I had a better fill-in-the-blank, then I'd do it. If we won't do it with what we have, we won't do it when we have that stuff we thought we needed. I heard it said from a person who's not from the United States. said, when a person shares their food, when a person shares their space, when a person shares their home, they're giving you their heart. That's what we're called to be and to do. It's different. I can remember one of the first times Joni and I had traveled to uh, Germany. We stayed with people in, in Frankfurt. And get told, you're going to be put up in somebody's home. And I was like, not only do they not speak English as their first language, and my German is atrocious and would get me in all sorts of trouble, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be walking into. And we're finding as we enter in the spot where we can pretty much stay just about anywhere. We've shoehorned into some pretty small spaces. 
And never one time was it like, I can't believe we're here. This is so bad. I can't believe they offered this to us. Every single time it's like, I can't believe they would extend themselves to the point where they have included us in their family, where they have involved us in what's happening and fed us from their table and allowed us to be here. And it's bonded us. And I have some of the dearest friends and memories that we have have been bonded around tables in very tiny, tiny places. I've seen people who, they have no spare bedroom, so they offer up their kitchen or their bathroom as a place for people to crash, if necessary. They go, that's uncomfortable. It's like, you know what's more uncomfortable? Outside. (laughs) I mean, serious. We are different. We're built different. It's true. Use God's gifts to serve one another. You know what? You, every single one of you has a ministry. The word ministry means opportunity to serve. Whatever gift you have, use it to serve another. You are a good steward, a person who knows what to do with what God's given to you. If God's given you the ability to speak, speak prophetically from God to encourage, edify, exhort, do it. If he's given you the ability to serve, strengthened by God, do it so that in all things may be, God may be glorified. Because to God be all the glory and dominion forever and ever. He gives us what we have to use what we have. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 as we wrap up this chapter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted by the name, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do not let the fiery trials surprise you. When you are tested, you can know this is an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus. This is not Jesus trying to put you through things to make you stumble. This is God in Jesus allowing us to go through hard things, which every single person on the planet, Christian or not, will have to go through. And he uses those things to help us become more like him. And it is intense. You may have heard how... uh, Precious metals are refined. They're put into uh, a a smelter, a place where they would be melted down to very, very high temperatures. And at some point, as the metal starts to to melt, it it falls to the bottom. And anything that's an impurity rises to the top. And the refiner, the person who's doing this to make the the precious metal more pure, scoops the, the dross or the impurities off. Fire brings about a A crisis. It brings about a conflict, and it requires us to do something different. We will not grow if we're under equilibrium. Jake Wiskirchen was talking to us a few months ago about the idea of we only grow when it's disequilibrium, when things are uncomfortable, when we're stretched. Don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials. They are intense testing grounds where God removes the junk in us. Every single person will experience this to see what we're made of. Something bad is not happening to you. It's not that you've been singled out. This is par for the course. If you're a human being, 
who follows after Jesus, you will experience this on a regular basis. And sometimes it'll be like, I've got years where everything's great. And then I've got an intense couple of years where it's like, that was like years that were the most difficult in my life. But they're also the years where I grow the most. Sometimes this shores up in ways where we can actually rejoice. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus endured. So rejoice and be glad when what is in you is revealed and it glorifies God. I like to think of when we're going through the refining, it's as though we're no longer in a practice or a rehearsal. We're now in the game or the recital. It's very easy to, and it can be very easy in the context here, to really not be challenged in our faith too much. Not be challenged in our character too much. Not be challenged in our integrity too much. But when we go out into the real world, we will be antagonized. There will be opportunity for us to lose it. And the proverbial driving in the car, great. But even more than that, when you come across people who are very, they've learned to deal with pain and rejection with their own anger and their own aggression and it shows up in front of you, it's a lot different than, you know, waiting in line for coffee at church. When you suffer, when you experience insults, character attacks, slander, disrespect, give glory to God that you're called by his name. Peter says, this is hard for the church. Imagine how hard it is for people without Jesus. Because everyone will go through this. As a Christ follower, when you find yourself suffering according to God's will, when you're going through something and it's not a, and then there was a bright light at the end of the tunnel, entrust yourself 100% to Jesus. I love stories of redemption where God brought deliverance and God brought healing and God rescued me out of the miry clay. But friends, we've got also a history and a testimony of people who have gone through the fiery furnace and been burned. They've gone through the, the affliction of disease and died. And it's not because God doesn't love them. It's each one of us has a path and a calling from God. And if we're on that calling that, you know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and serve the gods of Babylon. It's a great story. They got out. What happened if they didn't? The book of Hebrews goes into detail about all the people who've suffered and lost their lives. Fox's book of martyrs tells the story of person after person after person who lost their life because they stood firm believing in Christ, refusing to bow, refusing to compromise, refusing to recant their faith in Christ. And that's not something that's meant to intimidate or scare us. Hope this doesn't happen to you. It's that if you find yourself on that, commit yourself 100% to Jesus. And I guarantee you our faith is made for times like that. Jesus will give you what you need when you're going through the crucible. It is not my word, it is his word that cements that, 100%. He will not leave you alone. I was listening to, there's a, a writer and a, a theorist and a, a theologian named Leonard Sweet, and I was listening to his podcast this morning called Napkin Scribbles, and he was talking about his tradition, the Wesleyans, and he says one of the things that the Wesleyans are known for is we're people who die well. And by that he means there's a tradition that when a Wesleyan Christian is beginning to head down that spiral where they recognize death is coming, they don't come to that with fear and trembling. They come to it singing thankfulness and praise to Jesus because they know 
that my life is in his hands and my protection is in him and he has me and he holds me and I am looking to the day when I get to meet my Savior face to face. May it be said of us that we have a testimony that we put fully our trust in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb and that we do not shrink if death comes to us. I don't want to die before my time, but I sure as heck don't want to dishonor my God. And it might be easier to think, oh, no, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, Bon Jovi. Um, I want to spend my life every moment, every day in a way that brings glory to God. What do we do with this? What stands out to you from what you've heard today other than an insane number of song references? Uh, what are some practical ways, above all, you can love other people? What are you making of love covers over a multitude of sins? Where's God calling you to overlook a multitude of sins? If you're married or you have a family or there's people that you know, I bet there's, re- there's room in there. How can you practice hospitality on a regular basis in your regular life? Where can you use your God-given gifts? It's not going to always be at church. Please don't let it all be, just be here. Being salt and light, being the city on a hill means we're out in the real world. When I see pictures and videos of Peter Johnson coaching Axel's baseball team, it brings me joy, not just because Axel's got a killer mullet and he learned it from his father, but because I know Peter and Debbie are living lights as Jesus in the middle of people. When I see Matt Emmons is coaching soccer, it's like, that gives me joy. When I hear people are volunteering on their school board or on their PTA, or they're, it's like, that's serving Jesus too. It's not just stuff that happens here. That's why we don't, we don't want to, like, the only way you can follow Jesus is if you're volunteering at Hillside. It's like, mm, our God's a little more creative than that. There's a lot of space where it can happen, and I believe volunteering and serving is a way that he helps purify our character, but there's a big world out there. With what God leads you to, give your all there. Finally, what does it look like for you to entrust yourself and your soul to God in times of refining? To be a person who does good on the go in the midst of the difficulty. Let's bow our heads. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present today and I ask you to apply to our hearts and minds your word. I pray that you would uh, just grow in us a deep love that goes beyond circumstance, goes beyond anything that we could manufacture on our own. Lord, a love that we would extend to others. I pray that as we go through opportunities of of being purified and refined, that we would not shrink back from that, but that we would step forward and embrace you and living for your glory. I pray that we would live as a good testimony to the people around us. I pray that you would show us how we can be hospitable and extend ourselves to people and to be kind to one another in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. With everybody's head still bowed, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, we believe that whoever would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and that God raised him from the dead would be saved. We want to kind of help you get started in your relationship with Jesus. And as, as we wrap up today, there's a, in our Connect and Grow area, there are several yes packets, and those are basically for anybody who says, I want to begin to follow after Jesus. I would love for you just to be able to grab one and begin that walk of, of what's it mean to be a Christian today and as I go forward. So Lord, as you are here with us, we acknowledge you and we say yes to you, what you lead us towards in Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be prayer available right back here with 
the Cole and Cassidy Pocock family. And uh, as we're ready to do that, I want to offer this prayer and blessing for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. All the best to you today as you go. May you know you're walking in the blessing of Jesus. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to equip you with what you need. And in your times of weakness, he will be strong. That's his promise. Right on? God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside4.org.